Good morning. So EQ, or emotional intelligence, has become a, a big focus for many corporate organizations. And so I just want to introduce you to this concept in case you're not familiar. So a good old BBC article called EQ, Why Leaders Are Looking for Emotional Intelligence, said this, how you deal with conflict and setbacks, how you encourage people when they're down, your ability to negotiate or get things done, all of those things touch on emotional intelligence. It's your EQ that enables you to be effective in your role, get promoted, and do well in the workplace. We're all emotional beings just by virtue of being human, and we can't separate that at work. From frustration and discomfort to fulfillment and joy, our work tasks, colleagues, and even life outside work can be the catalyst for a range of feelings during work hours. The pandemic also laid bare how an organization can spiral downwards when its workforce doesn't nurture their emotional intelligence. A February 2022 Gallup survey showed workers felt managers' empathy had sharply declined since the onset of the pandemic in 2020. Nearly half of U.S. workers reported feeling that their boss cared about their well-being. That number has since halved, and the reduction in emotional understanding between managers and employees has had a negative impact. Workers who reported feeling uncared for by a boss were 69% more likely to look for a new job or report suffering from burnout. Now, overall, I think this is a good refocus for workplaces, okay? Because here's why. It's a refocus on what's on God's heart, which is relationships, okay? God didn't create us just to put things in boxes in our lives and go, here's work, here's home, here's whatever. No, it, it all flows together. And so I think overall, this is, this is a good uh, refocus for the, the workplace. But instead of consulting random EQ resources, let's learn from God himself about emotional intelligence and about relationship wisdom. Now, wisdom for relationships and emotions in general is actually found throughout Scripture. And it's demonstrated really well in the Scripture we have today, which is why I bring it up. So we're in 1 Thessalonians 5. We've been working our way through 1 Thessalonians. And we're going we're gonna to cover the last part of 1 Thessalonians today, 5, 19 to 28. So if you can turn there, go in your Bible app to that. Um, and surprise... Next week, we'll be in 2 Thessalonians. Um, and then after that, we're actually going to go to Ecclesiastes, which I'm pretty excited about as well. And I, I know our men's Bible study is going through that right now. Uh, shout out to them Monday night, 6 o'clock. We're having a good time. Come on out for that if you are a guy. Um, but anyway, yeah, yeah, as if that needed clarification. Um, but Ken Sandy who wrote the book, The Peacemaker, which a, bun a couple Bible studies in our church went through uh, in the fall here, has done actually a pretty masterful job of packaging this for us in a biblical framework. Because I've, I've seen stuff like this about emotional intelligence, heard with it, and I'm like, I'm kind of tracking with you, but I'm like, how do, how, do we, how do we frame this 
in the right way. And I think Ken Sandy has done a great job with a framework he's called relational wisdom. So if we can throw that graphic up here. Um, yeah, sorry, not graphic. Uh, quote first, and then we'll get to the graphic. So he says this. Relational wisdom, in essence, is the desire and ability to live out Jesus' two great commandments. Namely, to love God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. Relational wisdom may also be defined as your ability to discern emotions, interests, and abilities in yourself and others, to interpret this information in the light of God's word, and to use these insights to manage your responses and relationships successfully. God's teaching on relationships is consistently three-dimensional. In passage after passage, he tells us how to be faithful to him, love, trust, worship, obey, how to discipline ourselves, to know yourself, to have self-control, to put off this and put on that, and how to serve our neighbors, to love, pray, encourage, and forgive. So we have our chart. So I love this because it starts where it should start as followers of Christ with God himself. So emotional intelligence, so much of it is like, well, you gotta make sure you figure out yourself and then you can go and, and treat others well. And yes, but you're missing the most important component. And that is first awareness of God and engagement with God. So God awareness or remembering is the ability to view all of life in the light of God's character, works, and promises. So this is where it starts. You can't just say, hey, I'm going to get up today and love everyone around me. Well, guess what? If you are not aware of God and who he is and what he's up to and what he has done for you, how are you going to go about genuinely loving someone else if you don't first realize how much you have been loved and how great God is and how that affects everything in our lives? So God awareness is where it starts. And then this moves into God engagement. So this faithfulness on our part, the ability to trust, obey, and imitate God in a way that pleases and honors him. And then this goes into the self-aware part. And you hear that. I even hear that and read this and go, self-aware. Okay, let's not get too new agey. No, no, no. Here's what we're talking about. We're talking about humility, which is all over scripture. It's the ability to discern your own identity, emotions, thoughts, values, interests, and ability. It's, it's the ability to be able to see yourself correctly in light of who God is. So self-awareness, which leads to self-engagement, which is discipline. It's the ability to then manage your thoughts and emotions and words and actions so that they advance God's purposes, right? It's being self-controlled. It's being disciplined, self-engagement. And then this leads us to engaging others rightly, other awareness, compassion. It's the ability to understand and empathize with the experiences, emotions, values, and interests of others, which leads to God engagement, service. It's the ability to love, to encourage, serve, and resolve differences with others in a mutually beneficial way. So I think this is a great way to put it. So I'm just going to use this framework to explain the scripture this morning because Paul demonstrates beautifully all three of these dimensions of relational wisdom twice over in our scripture. Let me show you what I mean. So here we are, 1 Thessalonians 5, starting in verse 19. Don't stifle the spirit. Don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. This part of this scripture is talking about relational wisdom for the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. 
So I kind of color-coded it for you. So we have, in the first verse, don't stifle the spirit. This has to do with being God-aware and God-engaged. So when you think about God, or you think about what the Holy Spirit is up to, don't stifle that or don't ignore it. When the Holy Spirit is up to something in your heart, in your mind, or around you, don't ignore it. Stifle here literally means to put out a fire. So think of like taking a bucket of water and pouring it on a campfire. That's what stifle means. Now, just because you think that the Holy Spirit is up to something doesn't mean that it's him, okay? It could be your own mind. It could be something going on inside of you that is not God. It could be the devil. It could be the world's influence. But it isn't saying here to listen and obey everything that you think is God. That's not what the scripture says. It just says start by not ignoring it. The next step is to test it. And you see it on the scripture. And we're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to talk about that later. But first, I just want to talk about this. Not stifling the spirit. And I met a few new people today. And I just want you to know that like our theological statement, we're not super like loud about this because it has some um, connotations that aren't always true of Stonebridge Church. But our theological statement, our statement of faith is Southern Baptist, okay? So you didn't show up this morning to a Pentecostal church. However, it might seem like that. I'm just preaching the scripture here. So here we go. Some common everyday ways that we stifle the spirit. And I want to I want to frame it this way because things of the spirit when we talk about them, they start to get a little weird and strange and mysterious. And here's why. Because the Holy Spirit cannot be fully grasped and put into a box. Okay? And, but I want to show you that the Holy Spirit is very active in real practical ways. So this doesn't have to get super weird. Okay? Common everyday ways we stifle the Spirit. First, imagine you feel convicted about some sin in your life, or about something you're doing that, that, that is unwise, perhaps. See, if you stifle the spirit there, you, you'll convince yourself, and you'll convince God, and you know what, it's fine. It's not that big a deal, okay? Let's just sweep that under the rug. That is stifling the spirit. You're stifling what God is trying to do in your life. Another common everyday way we stifle the spirit. Let's say you have a a, a nudge to help someone, to to reach out to someone, to invite someone over, to to encourage someone, and you end up telling yourself and God, you know what, I don't have time. Um, They probably don't even want help, right? And, And they don't even need it, right? We start to say these things, and we're stifling what God might be trying to do. Or let's say someone shares something really deep or heavy or difficult that they're wrestling with in life. And this could happen in a, in a small group setting or, or just one-on-one. Someone shares something really deep. You could stifle the spirit by carelessly dismissing their struggle and, and, and essentially saying, oh, it could be worse. I went through this. You could carelessly one-up their struggle. Well, you know, it was worse for me at this point. You could carelessly try to move on with humor. I've seen this a lot. 
You know, it's like, oh, that's cool. Hey, 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 hey. This was funny. Did you see this meme the other day, right? I mean, we, we do stuff like this. It's stifling the spirit, stifling what God might be up to. We can carelessly ignore their struggle and change the topic and be like, well, the weather, I heard it's supposed to snow a bunch on Wednesday. We could carelessly turn their struggle on them. Well, you know, you probably caused this because you've got this and this and this in your life. It could be stifling what God is trying to do when someone shares something deep. Another way is when God seems to ask us to do something a little outside our comfort zone, whether it's sharing the gospel with someone or praying for healing for someone or, or speaking up front or, or inviting someone to church or to a church event or or offering to watch someone's kids, even though you're not a kid person, even though you have kids? Um, are we listening? Are we considering what the Holy Spirit might be nudging us to do, even though it's outside of our comfort zone? Are we stifling what God might be trying to do? Or are we just pouring cold water on the fire of the Spirit? See, the first way to grow in relational wisdom towards the Spirit's work is, is just to be more aware of God's nudges and prompts and voice in our life. And then engage God, engage the Holy Spirit by not ignoring that and explaining it away so quickly. We love to do this. I, I, I'll be honest. I love to do this sometimes, to explain away what God is calling me to do, like I go, well, I'm not thinking clearly today, or I, I didn't get much sleep last night, or, or God would never ask me to do that. But God has incredible, even mysterious, and yes, uncomfortable things for you. And we need to stop stamping out the flames of the Holy Spirit's work in our life and become more and more God-aware, more and more Holy Spirit-aware, and more and more God-engaged and Holy Spirit-engaged. Next we see... Paul talks about others' awareness and others' engagement in verse 20. Don't despise prophecies. So let's start with prophecies, okay? Let's, let's define this. Most people, when they hear that word, think we're talking about predicting the future. And while that could be a prophecy, that is not all that prophecy is. Prophecy is this. It's a spontaneous word from God through other people. Spontaneous word from God through other people. It could be a warning, it could be encouragement, it could be direction. The Thessalonians, think about this, okay, let's put ourselves in their shoes. This is who Paul's writing to. The Thessalonians inevitably were prophesying more than we do today. Why? Was the Holy Spirit more active then than he is today? Absolutely not. They did not have access to the word of God like we do today. Think about it. If they could read, and if they had access to two things that probably were not true of majority of the Thessalonians, okay? They had the Old Testament at best, and maybe a gospel that happened to make its way to Thessalonica in the few short years since it had been written. But they did not have the whole counsel of God through his written word like we do today. So inevitably, God was speaking more directly, more often 
through prophecy, through one another. In a real practical way, that's why it was happening. So that's why he's saying, hey, don't despise these to them. But today, the Holy Spirit is just as active. But he, he brings prophecies more to strengthen and encourage and highlight the truth that we already have in the scripture. But nonetheless, prophecy is still valuable and present today. Let me give you an example. A few weeks ago, after our worship night here, um, someone came up to me after that service and said, you know, the good Lord told me to tell you, Matt, to look forward and not behind. That's a prophecy. I didn't think of it as that when it happened, but it was. When someone says, God told me to tell you, this scripture is saying, don't despise it. Listen and weigh it. I had a youth student when I was a youth pastor who um, I felt prompted to share with them that they should go into full-time ministry. And I, I've never done that with anybody else in my life. Um, I'd also seen some fruit in their life, some, some signs that showed oh, you know, they, could, they could do well at that. But I felt like God would say, tell this to this guy. And today, he's a pastor and has been for a few years because he didn't despise that prophecy. Others' awareness and others' engagement is absolutely essential for verse 20 here. The one giving the prophecy has to first be engaged with God in order to hear him. And then they have to be willing to share what God tells them to share and not shy away even if it's a little uncomfortable. Some of the best days of my life were the days where I really listened to the Spirit and then didn't despise what the Spirit gave me and shared that with other people. It brings a lot of joy. The one receiving the prophecy must be others aware and others engaged as well. They need to be open to what they're saying and grateful for the other person's willingness to share this with them. But here's the thing. Let me just say it like this. Prophecy doesn't have to be so weird around here. Clearly, it was a normal part of the everyday life of the early church. And the same Holy Spirit is alive and well in us individually and as a church today. And any, so anyone who's leading anyone else spiritually, which by the way, is anyone who's a follower of Christ. Do you know you're a leader? You may not think of yourself that way, but you are. You have influence on people. Whether you're leading a connection group, a Bible study, your family, your kids, your coworkers, you have influence on other people. You lead other people. We need to be willing to share what God nudges us to share with those people that we have influence on. And anyone who's involved here in our church community, in our church family, we need to be willing to share what God nudges us to share with other people. And we need to be open to what God nudges others to share with us as well. Which leads us to verse 21 and 22. But test all things. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. This has to do with self-awareness and being self-engaged. We need to have the humility and the discipline to not just blindly accept everything that we think is God. We need to test it. How can we test something to see if it's truly the voice of God? Well, measure it with the word of God. 
the plain word of God found in Scripture? Does it align with the truth of the word of God in Scripture? If not, throw it out. That wasn't God. Another test is then to ask someone else who has the Spirit, someone else who's, who's following Christ, if they agree if it aligns with the Word of God. See, the Spirit in us is greater than just the Spirit in me. So here, those are some, some, some tests we can use to help discern here. We need to be humbly aware of our own biases and our own misunderstandings and test everything from ourselves or from others that's claiming to be the voice of God. But then we need to be self-engaging enough by disciplining ourselves to act appropriately. If it is from God, hold on to what is good. Listen to it and act appropriately. Don't dismiss it. If it is from God after you've tested it, God himself is speaking to you. He cares about you that much that he brought something specific to your attention. That, that um, prophecy that was brought to me a couple weeks ago after our worship night, don't look behind look ahead, was actually super empowering. So I tested that and went, oh yeah, I mean, this totally lines up with scripture and this is what's going on in my life and, and it's, it's helped me not live in regret, not replay past situations a million times, but instead focus on now and focus on what's ahead. That's freedom right there. But then we need to be self-engaging enough to discipline ourselves to verse 22, stay away from every kind of evil. So reject the things you thought were God speaking to you that when you test it, weren't. And then recognize them for what they are, evil. Think of it like this. If it's not God speaking, whose voice is it? It's evil himself. That's the devil. You don't listen to that. You throw that away. That can bring so much healing as well. So many voices in our heads and, and going on and around us that if we test it, that's not God. You throw that thing out of there. All right, here's kind of our second act, so to speak, of, of the scripture we have today, showing you relational wisdom. And this, this act is relational wisdom on display through Paul and how he closes his letter to them. So verses 23 to 28. It says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us also. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this letter, for this letter to be read to all the brothers and sisters, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So right away, verses 23 and 24 is about being God-aware and God-engaged. He prays for them. And listen to this prayer. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Paul turns his attention to God in prayer for the Thessalonians. 
He just gave the Thessalonians all these commands in chapter 5, which we spent the last several weeks breaking apart. All of these things to help them live in the present as people of the future, as people of heaven. And now he rightly comes back to God, remembering and reminding them that God is the author and the perfecter of their faith. Look at all the ways Paul turns the focus back onto God here. Verse 23, God is our peace. He's saying through Jesus' work, he has, made, he has made us at peace with God. Through Jesus' work, he has provided peace for our souls for eternity. And through the Holy Spirit's work, we now receive his peace day by day now. It's not our striving to be more joyful or more prayerful or more thankful that brings us peace. God is our peace. He's given us those tools, which we just spent the last three weeks looking at, of being joyful, prayerful, thankful, to tap into that peace. But God is our peace. He is the one who brings this peace to us. See, it's being God aware, God engaged. Verse 23, God will sanctify us completely. God himself will continue to make us more like himself. Wayne Grudem has a great definition of sanctification. Sanctification, he says, is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and more and more like Christ in our actual lives. It's a progressive work of God and man. See, a few short verses earlier, Paul was commanding them to do this and to be that and to put on this and put off that. He says, essentially, work at becoming more Christ-like. And here he says that God will do it. How does that work? Well, this is classic God math, okay? Here's God math. When it comes to sanctification, becoming more like Christ, it's 100% God, it's 100% you. And I know math people, that doesn't work. But this is spiritual God math here. It's a little different. It's kind of a mystery how this works together. And it's even frustrating how this works together on days, if I'm honest, right? God, can you just take this struggle away from me, right? I feel like Paul and Romans were like, I do the things I don't want to do. But this is how it is. God's 100% in, are you? The goal, though, is becoming a little more like Jesus. See, I tend to forget, and I think we all tend to forget when we're frustrated, when we're struggling, that the goal is actually not perfection. Let that sink in. Because I I think we get in our, our heads, man, I'm just not Jesus yet. Hello? You won't be. That's why you came. Right? And so this is so freeing to realize that that is not possible. But the goal is to become a little more like Jesus as time goes on. And a little more like Jesus. And a little more like Jesus. With the end goal already secure because of God. We will be sanctified completely by God. This verse assures us that that is on him. What freedom to not live in this, in this unnecessary pressure to try to be perfect, but live knowing we will end up perfect and letting that assurance empower us to obey him and love him and to be 100% in ourselves. God aware, God engaging. 
We also see here, end of verse 23 into 24, that God will protect and preserve us at Jesus' coming. Even though we deserve it, we won't get the punishment that we deserve. Instead, we'll be protected from God's righteous judgment if we are in Christ. We're not just protected, we'll be preserved, it says, because we get Jesus' perfect record, and he's promised us that. He will be faithful. He will surely preserve us. And this is one of the best lines in Scripture, in, in my opinion, is this. He will do it. I love that. Paul's going on and on in, the, in, in 1 Thessalonians about, you need to do this and put off that and do that. And he's like, but guess what? God's going to do it. It's on him. God aware, God engaged. But notice in the next verse, verse 25, that Paul is very self-aware and self-engaged as well. He says, brothers and sisters, pray for us also. Paul, writer of much of the New Testament, and outside of Jesus, he is the man of God, right? Here's Paul. He needed prayer. Now, it's maybe not that shocking that a man, even an incredible leader like Paul, would need prayer. But what's shocking is that Paul was humble enough, self-aware enough to ask for it. He was incredibly self-aware. I need prayer right now. Often we view humbly asking for help of any kind as a form of weakness, especially for leaders. Yet in God's economy, it is humility that demonstrates strength because you're humble enough and aware enough to know your limits and know your need and ask for help. When I was going to Bible college up at Northwestern in St. Paul, um, I was an RA my last couple years, which means I was, um, it's kind of funny to think about now that they put a student kind of in, in charge of other students, but that's the blind leading the blind there, but there, there, there it was, right? Um, and me and the other RAs in our, in our building got really close. Um, and at the end of the year, we in, encouraged one another. And one guy, quote unquote, encouraged me. Have you ever been in things where you're supposed to encourage and the encouragement ends up being like a warning or like a rebuke? Okay, um, I think that's fascinating. But um, God really used it, okay? Um, and he encouraged me to let my guard down more. And, and he said, hey, you know, quit acting like you have it all together. You're not fooling anyone. And I'm like, oh, okay. okay. Um, wow, I got to go to the bathroom. Um, but it hit my heart, though. See, in, in, in a quest to be a good, godly leader... I had become unaware of my own need for the help of others. And this has been a process. And there are days that I still battle with just wanting to save face. But this has shaped my life and my ministry. And I'm so glad this guy shared this with me. It's made me more and more self-aware and self-engaged. See, self-awareness isn't selfish. It's actually quite unselfish because you're willing to look under the hood at what you don't actually want to see, but it's, you look under the hood of how you're actually coming across to other people.
Last, we see that Paul is others aware. Others engaging. Verse 26 and 27, Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this letter be read to all the brothers and sisters. See, Paul is aware and engaged with others, with the Thessalonians, by showing his love for them. He says, greet them with a holy kiss. And that sounds weird to us today, but culturally, that was a sign of showing you care. It'd be today, a modern-day equivalent would be like, hey, give them a hug for me when you see them. Yeah, give them a hug for me. You're showing care for them, even though you can't be there. right? And Paul is others engaged by calling them to serve each other. He says, read this aloud to everyone. Like I said earlier, not everyone could read. Make sure every single person in the church hears this letter, not just a select few of you that decide are worthy of hearing. No, all of you, I want to hear this because I love every last one of you. Others aware, others engaged. And then Paul comes full circle by ending God aware and God engaged. Verse 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He ends the way that he began this section, God-aware. It's not just that the grace of Jesus would be with them at his coming. He's now praying that God would daily pour out his grace on them. And he ends this way because he realizes that nothing Paul said to them in his letter can or will happen Nothing that he commanded them to do, nothing that he just said is going to come about apart from the moment-by-moment grace of Jesus Christ. God-awareness. So I want to end the same way that Paul ended his letter to the Thessalonians here this morning. A healthy relationship with God, with the Holy Spirit, and with ourselves, and with others, will only happen by the moment-by-moment grace of God. So, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you and be with us. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I pray that your grace would be with us moment-by-moment and that would empower us to live a life that is God-aware and God-engaged and self-aware and self-engaged so that we can be others-aware and others-engaged in ways that would actually love them well. I pray, Jesus, that you would help us to not be as timid as I think most of us tend to be when it comes to things of the Spirit. And I pray that we would not in a quest to become less timid, stop testing everything with your word. And we thank you for both. Some, we know, Lord, that some some people, some Christians really focus on the Holy Spirit and some really focus on the word of God. And I just, I look at your word and I walk with you, Jesus, and I go, yes, to both in equal measure. So Lord, help us, help us to be engaged with the Spirit, engaged with you, God, and engaged with your word, and to be led by you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.